Hi, everybody. I'm Brittany Lewis, a reporter here at Forbes. Joining me now is Gabby Lewis, co-founder of Magic Spoon. Gabby, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. Great to be here. Before we dive right in, for those who don't know, can you explain what Magic Spoon is? I can. So Magic Spoon reimagines your favorite breakfast cereal with more protein, less carbs, and zero sugar. So imagine that delicious sugary bowl of cereal you grew up loving, and we made it legitimately healthy for you. That sounds almost too good to be true, but I want to know really how you did it because sometimes when people think of healthier things, they want to try a healthier version of X, Y, or Z, they might take a bite and be like, ooh, I can tell, you know, that's that's healthy. That's the healthy version of what I really want. So when was the moment for you when you took a bite of Magic Spoon cereal and you're like, this is it, we've got it? Yeah, so the reason we even called it Magic Spoon was because we wanted you to feel this is too good to be true. It must be magic. And so we spent over a year testing hundreds of formulations, trying to basically recreate that taste and texture of sugary cereal, but without the sugar, without the gluten, without the grains. And at first, honestly, we didn't even know if it was possible. We thought maybe the reason why this doesn't exist is because from a food science perspective, you just can't do it. But after hundreds of recipes and iterations, we eventually came up with a formula that uses a whey protein. It uses a blend of natural sweeteners like allulose, monk fruit, stevia leaf. And we use natural flavorings to come up with something that looks and tastes just like you remember, but it's really delicious for you and very healthy. You just said you thought it could, um, it might not be possible. So can you describe what your ultimate vision for Magic Spoon was? And did you ever have to pivot at any point? Yeah, the vision was to create a product without compromise. And so it's funny you mentioned that often when people are tasting something that's a healthier version of something, they think, oh, it's not going to be as good. And we've all had uh, an ice cream or something that's maybe claiming to be like really healthy and tastes just like regular ice cream, but you try it and it's not quite there. And so what we wanted to do was to create a product that tastes basically just the same as the unhealthy version, but it is incredibly good for you. And so, again, yeah, we weren't sure that it could be done. There's lots of food science challenges involved with that. And this is something that we wanted to do, not just for the cereal aisle, but something that we thought was lacking in the food industry at large, right? There's always this idea that you have to trade off taste with nutrition, and you can't have something that's good for you, it's fun, it's delicious. And we've sort of been trained to expect that trade off. We wanted to create something that had fun, colorful packaging, was legitimately really healthy and actually delicious and indulgent all at the same time and create a product that just really has no compromise. And so no matter what you care about, whether you're a parent trying to give their child some healthy cereal that the child thinks is actually sugary cereal, or you're a workout fanatic trying to get more protein after your workout, but you don't want another shake, Magic Spoon cereal can sort of solve your problems. What's really interesting about cereal in particular is there is that sort certain sense of nostalgia to it. You know, you remember the cereals you had growing up, maybe when you went to your friends' houses, they had the better cereals, but there is that sense of it brings you right back to childhood when you have a bowl of cereal. So how do you convince people to ditch their tried and true cereals because everyone has a favorite few boxes of cereal and then instead jump onto the, the magic spoon? Um, you know, get some magic spoon. 
Yeah, well, firstly, a lot of people don't have to be convinced, right? If you look at the cereal market over the past couple of decades, it's been declining every year, right? So people know that cereal, whilst delicious, is not the healthiest option. And so people have been leaving that category and they've stopped eating cereal. And instead, they've been having these boring health foods that they don't really want, but they feel like they should have. So people are having Greek yogurts or smoothies or protein bars instead of cereal. And so a lot of our customers are people that already left the cereal aisle. We're saying to them, hey, you don't need to have that chalky protein bar or gross greens juice. You can actually have a bowl of colorful, delicious cereal, and it's really, really healthy for you, just like you remember. And so a lot of our customers, we're not convincing them to switch Lucky Charms and Magic Spoon. We're convincing them to come back to the category that they love, but they felt like they had to leave because it didn't speak to them anymore once they started paying attention to health. And can you just move your head for a moment? I want our viewers, if they haven't seen the Magic Spoon box, to actually look at it. So, Well, there's one right here as well. Perfect. Because I want to talk about the design there because it looks fun. It looks like you mentioned Lucky Charms. It has that quality of it's fun. It's a car cartoon. Is this how you were able to cut through the competition and kind of marry the nostalgia of your the classic cereal to, hey, but this is the healthier version of that? Yeah, so from a packaging perspective, we wanted to nod to the classic characters that we all remember, but do it in a slightly grown up, slightly psychedelic way, right? So we wanted to make people feel like they're a kid again, and we wanted to make them feel like they're watching cartoons, but do it in a more elevated way. So these characters, it's, you know, a different kind of person riding an animal, and every cereal box is a little bit different. And yeah, we definitely wanted to lean into nostalgia, even down to the fact that you know, we put this in a rectangular cereal box. If you think about it, a cereal box is not a very intuitive packaging form. It's it's less practical than a stand-up pouch that reseals, for example. The reason we did a box, not a stand-up pouch that reseals, is because of that nostalgia. Even though it's slightly less practical, you see a box of colorful cereal, you feel amazing, you feel like a kid again. That's so whether it's the character, the fact that it is a box, the shape, the color, all of it is designed to evoke that nostalgia and feeling amazing and eating healthy at the same time. I have this conversation with my friends a lot. I'm a 90s kid and, you know, we think back to some of the snacks and some of the foods that we ate like 20 years ago and we're we're shocked that that was going into our bodies so there has been this rise of healthy foods how do you cut through that competition and how do you like show people hey magic spoon is the best the best tastiest and healthiest option it's hard and like you said there's so much noise out there right there are whatever your category, even just, even just looking at cereals, there are dozens of other companies claiming to be the best healthy cereal. And, and some of them are quite good and some of them are, are quite awful. And so it's, it's definitely a challenge to get front and center. And the way we do it is we try not to do that ourselves. We try not to be the ones saying this is the best because who's gonna trust a company saying that, right? So the way we do it is we get either influencers that love our products, we try and generate lots of word of mouth, we try and have other people shout from the rooftops for us. And that comes across as far more genuine than us just running an Instagram ad saying, we're the best healthy cereal. And people talk about it and then, you know, it snowballs from there. So we've been fortunate enough to have, for example, some celebrities or influencers who tried the product, liked it so much, they then invested in the business. And then they want to talk about it all the time. And it's win-win for us and them as investors in the business. 
Let's talk about influencer marketing a little bit because the first time I heard of Magic Spoon, I was on Instagram, I was going through stories, and an influencer I followed was pouring a bowl of it and eating it, and that's how I heard of Magic Spoon. So can you talk about how you decided, hey, let's go the influencer marketing route? Yeah, it's, it's been an evolution. So in the earliest days, we used influencers as investors. The first $500,000 we raised for our company was actually from influencers who invested in the business. And so that was the first way we worked with influencers. And then over time, we worked with influencers of all different sizes, whether it's micro-influencers that were just seeding product to and then up to them if they want to post or not. We work with large-scale celebrities and everyone in between as well. And for us, we think the best kind of marketing is where what's what we call endorsement marketing. So it's where somebody who has a following of any size, they will believe that person is talking about our brand. So we do that on podcasts, we do that with Instagram, with YouTube, wherever it might be, we want people who have a following to trust them to talk about Magic Screen and talk about it genuinely. And so when we work with influencers, we never give them a script because then it sounds forced, it doesn't sound like it's real. We we don't care whether the influencer is talking about fashion or food or cars or whatever it might be. Like we just want them to be genuine because cereal has such a broad audience that we can work with influencers from any genre because everyone loves cereal and then talk about it genuinely to their following. And that's been one of our largest marketing channels since we launched four years ago. I want to talk about some of those investors and like you said everyone likes cereal and I'm going to rattle off a few names and this really shows the spectrum of the, the investors in Magic Spoon. Nick Jonas, Halsey, Russell Westbrook and Shakira. So how did you get celebrities of these are A-list celebrities. How did you get them on board? So some of them got on board purely because they love the product. And there, there's a much longer list. We probably have 20, 30 celebrity investors. We probably have over 100 investors total. And some of them came to us. So Questlove, for example, he organically posted on his Instagram three years ago, this is crazy. I just tried this cereal. I cannot believe it's low carb. It tastes like Fruit Loops. And so I just sent him a DM after that and said, hey, would love to get you involved some way ended up becoming an investor in the business. And so that was a case of just genuine love for the product. He had no idea whether our business was successful or not at the time, didn't know our numbers, just loved the product, wanted to get involved. Others, it's purely business, purely investment, right? They have to like the product as a baseline, obviously, but then, you know, we're talking about our cat, our LTV, any business metrics and any other investor they're asking about. And some of them, of course, have business managers, you know, various kinds who are doing due diligence as well. So it's a little bit different in any case, but the, the through line is that they all believe that healthy food is a big trend that's lasting, not a fad. They believe the cereal category is right for reinvention, and they genuinely enjoy eating magic food as well. And something that's interesting is that Magic Spoon was exclusively online from 2019 to early 2023. So can you describe its growth from 2019 to now? Yeah, so we launched about four years ago, and for the first two, two and a half years, it was entirely direct to consumer. You could only buy Magic Spoon on our website. Then we launched on Amazon. We very quickly became the number one selling breakfast cereal on Amazon. And then just over a year ago, we launched into physical retailers as well. So just over a year ago, we launched into Target nationwide. And then in January of this year, we launched in Walmart, Kroger, Albertsons, Sprouts, and a few others as well. So we've gone from being in zero stores just over a year ago to over 10,000 stores today. 
and then launching in many more in January next year as well. I do want to talk about the price point, and this is actually one of the frequently asked questions on your website. For a four-pack of Magic Spoon is $39, so that's almost $10 a box of cereal. And a box of cereal online, another brand, is anywhere from $4 to $7. So how do you explain, A, that price point, and then how do you get people to, you know, get on board with it? The price point is where it is because what we're selling is actually not cereal. So if you look at our ingredients list, there's no cereal grains in there. What we're selling is high quality protein powder, natural flavors, natural sweeteners. All of those ingredients cost 10, 20 times more than cane sugar, corn flour, and the ingredients that your average cereal business is using. And so the price point is just purely a function of the ingredients we use. For serving, Magic Spoon is cheaper than a protein bar, a protein shake, or other products that have the same ingredients. When people understand that, they're usually very excited when they get it. It's the same way that a protein bar is not the same price as a candy bar, right? They're both rectangular, chocolatey snacks, but the ingredients are totally different. And over the course of a few years, people don't expect a protein bar and energy bar to be the same price as a chocolate bar. But at the beginning, I'm sure people thought, that seems a little expensive for a bar when you saw their first protein bar. And so we're educating people over time and it's becoming much easier. And people are understanding that it's worth paying more for 10 times more protein, for a seventh of the carbs, for a twentieth of the sugar. It's just such a massively better product. You actually just mentioned bars and you've expanded the business a bit. Can you talk us about what, you, what you've expanded to? Yeah, we've been asking our customers for years, what do they want to see for Magic Spoon next? And we get all sorts of answers, some of which are realistic and some of which are not. But one of the most common answers was the people that wanted us to create a grown-up version of a Rice Krispie Treat. So a cereal bar, Rice Krispie Treat, but with more protein, less sugar, less carbs. And so a couple of months ago, we launched our very own Magic Spoon Treats, which got one right here. So we have a chocolate peanut butter and a marshmallow flavor. And they look and taste like a chewy, stringy Rice Krispie treat, but they're only one gram of sugar, 11 grams of protein. So as healthy or healthier than the protein bars out there, but they look and taste like an indulgent Rice Krispie treat. And those launched a few weeks ago on Amazon and on our website, and people are absolutely loving them so far. Gabby, I want to pivot the conversation just a little bit now and ask you some questions about being an entrepreneur. Within the past few years since you launched Magic Spoon, what's been the hardest business lesson that you've learned? Oh, I think the hardest is always around people. So I don't know if there's a single lesson there, but the hardest periods for me as a founder are always when we've made the wrong people decisions. And I think every company does that in the early days because you don't know quite what you need. And I think every company over time hires more specialized people, as whereas in the early days you're hiring for more all-rounders. And I think typically people wait too long to hire those specialists. And so we made that mistake. If we hired all-rounders for a little bit too long before bringing in the specialists, and those all-rounders sometimes didn't quite have the skills we needed to help get the business to the next level, and then having to make even just one or two hard decisions when people in the business is, is heartbreaking. And so in terms of like personal things of being, you know, struggle, people decisions are definitely up there. I think another big lesson for us, uh, which we actually took from our prior business and tried to apply here, is 
not to expand product or focus too broadly too fast. And so some people might look at our business and ask, why did you stay online for three years before you go into a single retail store? Or why did you wait four years before launching your second product line? We learned from our last business that it's very easy to say yes to the shiny new exciting thing, very easy to get distracted. And if you have a large runway in front of you with a product line or a distribution channel and it's working, there's no need to get distracted and do all these other shiny things. And so we've tried to stay as narrowly focused as we can for years, literally only selling boxes of cereal on magicspoon.com, very narrow, and then gradually going out from there. What's interesting is if you told someone 10 years ago, this was going to be your business plan, influencer marketing exclusively online for a few years, they would have looked at you like, you might be crazy, but clearly you've thrown out the traditional business playbook in some senses. So what's an, another instance where you threw out the traditional business playbook? And then what's an instance where you kind of stuck to the script a little bit and what's worked for you? Great question. I think we we stuck the script a little bit more. Well, I'd say in retail, we've done a little bit more. So in retail, the, the usual way to enter a retail store is for a CPG product or a food product, is you start off with a local, regional, natural, crunchy type store, and maybe you launch in 10 or 20 of those. You know that the audience is going to pay a premium for a healthy product. After you've seen results in maybe 20, 30 stores, and you expand to another 50 or 100, and over the course of three or four years, you'll work your way up to the Target, the world, the Walmart, the Kroger's. We skipped that step. So we went from nothing to being in 1,500 targets, and then six months later being in 3,000 walks. And that would have seemed risky from an outsider because usually people make sure it works you know, at Whole Foods or a smaller retailer before they take it to Walmart. For us, we believed we had done those three years of brand building online. We'd really proved that the concept and the customers wanted it. And so we felt that we could go straight into thousands of mainstream stores on day one. And, and it's worked, but that was a little bit counter to what most people would recommend in terms of brand entering retail. Now that we're in retail, we're not following more of a playbook, right? So there's hundreds, thousands of companies before us that have you know, expanded into retail and gone from 1,000 to 5,000, 10,000 stores. And whereas with our D2C business, we really had to reinvent the wheel for a food company scaling to you know, tens and tens of millions of dollars online and figure out how to do that. With retail, there's lots of companies that scale to 50, 100, 200 million dollars selling through retail. And so we're just following the playbook and the best practices there. What would you say to one of our viewers? Maybe they have this great idea, but they don't even know where to get started. They're an entrepreneur in the making. What's your one piece of advice for someone starting their own business? I think make sure upfront that people want it. And that sounds so simple, but I think a lot of founders are slightly blinded by their own personal experience or what they want. They don't pay enough attention to the market. And so there, there's always the classic story of the founder that says, you know, I, I really wanted this thing, it didn't exist, and so I made it. And sometimes that works, and sometimes you're right, and there's other people out there like you, and sometimes there's not, right? Like sometimes it really is just you. And so I think I speak to a lot of founders that are a year or two in, and then they realize there's just not the market for this that I thought there was. And once you're a year or two in, it's, it's pretty hard at that point to rewind or pivot. And so really validating with, you know, as many people as you can, and it doesn't need to be a formal study, you don't need to put money behind it, but like, 
asking dozens and dozens of friends, family, extended people for their genuine feedback on the product, the price points, the nutritional profile, all those kinds of things, and really having confidence in the product market for upfront can save you a lot of time and energy down the road. And what's next for Magic Spoon? We're doing more of the same. I think it's tempting to have a, a fun, exciting, crazy answer for you. But at this point, we're, we're expanding our store kind of rapidly. It's trying to get Magic Spoon cereal and then eventually our, you know, our treats into as many retail doors as we can, strategically the right retail doors. But we want to eventually be everywhere that cereal is bought and sold. And right now we're in you know, a small fraction of the potential retail doors that are out there. And we get emails every day from people asking us, hey, why are you not in my local X store? And it's just because we're just starting to roll out into retail and so many more stores to come. And getting our treats out there into more people's hands as well because I only went a few weeks ago. Well, Gabby Lewis, thank you so much for sharing your insights and I appreciate you coming on. Thanks for having me.